Sci-Fi for Me Radio presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is H2O. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of H2O. My name is Jason Hunt. I am Timothy Harvey. And we are uh, recording video. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those of you who just listen, uh, we do have that option for you. Uh, over on Sci-Fi for Me TV, you can which see our faces, YouTube which channel. are made for radio. Yes, see my see my my need for a haircut. I was going to say you are yeah, shaggy. Yeah, I am starting to get shaggy. I I'm I'm debating whether or not. Yes. <laughs> I'm you... debating whether or not to to leave it uh-huh. until grades come up. <laughs> wondering how long it's going to get. It may not be my best option. I just have this vision of you with a ponytail now, and I'm not <laughs> sure. Because I had one at one point. I mean, I used to have one. Hair. See, I can picture you with one. Um, me, back, not back so Back in my bookstore days, uh, a couple of times I had long hair. Chopped it off. Made it through that horrible period where it's all growing out, and it's the wrong length, and it does weird things. Right, with, like, weird, right. curly nonsense. Um, went to Europe for three weeks, chopped it all off because the last thing I wanted to do was deal with long hair every morning when I'm at. I'm in Europe. I should be going out doing cool things sure. as opposed to going. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, One, two, you know, three, four, five. <laughs> yeah. No, thank God, nothing more like that. But uh, yeah, so whereas you are shaggy, I am recently I, shorn. Well, so. see, and and when I was when I was. Your hair tips on sci-fi for me.com. Three, I guess. My mother has a series of photographs mm. of me before I got my first haircut. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the little green overalls. Sure, sure. And uh-huh. yeah. the ringlets, of course. I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah. they're, yeah. they're yeah, right. just going nuts of back in the yeah. And after my first haircut, they just never quite came back the same way. That's probably okay. Much to my mother's regret. Well, Somewhere there's a photo, and I can't remember the last time I saw it. I think I want to say it last five years or so. There's a photo of me from the early 70s, mm-hmm. which would be the um, brown corduroy bell bottoms that <laughs> the 70s inflicted on a grass yes. chunk of humanity. I remember those. And uh, I'm quite adorable. Um, clearly, clearly much has changed since then. Well, I don't know. My dog still thinks you're adorable. Well, your dog is an extremely good judge of character, and I am the best one. <laughs> That's probably why the dog leaves me alone most of the day, I guess. So, <laughs> whereas, whereas my cat <laughs> will not go to anybody. She's just gone. If no, you yeah. come by, she's like, I'm not, I'm hiding. I'm, I have no interest in talking. Hiding to you. and hissing. Yes. By the way. Yes. Well, sure. <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Goes yeah. under the bed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so this week, History, histoire. History was made was this week. Made this week. Yes. Um, did you see uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's Neil Tyson? Neil, is it deGrasse Tyson? DeGrasse, yeah, Neil yes. deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm only on my what third or fourth cup of coffee. Oh, well, so you're I'm, behind. I'm clearly behind. Neil deGrasse Tyson making a post on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, the last time the Cubs were, won the World <laughs> Series, Albert Einstein was still alive. Pluto hadn't even been discovered yet. Let alone lost uh, being a planet. Amazing. 108 years. That's just it. It's, it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that baseball's even been around that long. Well, and you, yeah. But, I mean, you know, think about how long basketball's been around or, you know, cricket. Or you know, mm. cr- cricket, by the way, for the folks at home, is a British sport. Kind of like that baseball. has rules that are really odd. Yeah, um, you think soccer is weird? Americans. Football, football. Um, well, yeah, but the the Cubs this week won the World Series. Yeah, the curse has been broken. <laughs> Hopefully, they will not have to go through another another century. Idea, really, no kidding. <laughs> So congratulations to the Chicago Cubs yeah. um, and uh, pat on the back. There's always next year for Cleveland. Hey, you know what? The fact that Cle- Cleveland uh, did okay in another sport. Uh-huh. So I think they're, you know. Well, I mean, 
Really, though, I mean, it's a, it's a Cinderella story no matter how you look at it I'm because sure. you know, how often does Cleveland get that far? You had Cle- the Cleveland Indians and the Chicago Cubs in the World Series. Yeah, well, I mean, you have two teams who have had the history that they both had where the just the, the fans have that kind of love-hate relationship mm-hmm. where you hate the fact that you've ne- you haven't won in this long, but you love the team, and it's almost a passion. There's always next year. There's always next year. But there's this – there's a devotion to a team like that that fans have to have. Yeah. That belief that one day, if not me, then my children will see, <laughs> you know. Uh, there was – I saw an article, and I can't remember where this was. There was a guy who apparently drove 600 miles, mm-hmm. sat at his father's grave – and listen to the game. Oh wow! To fulfill a promise that he made to his dad. See, I like stories like that. Yeah. Now we've gone almost ten minutes. Mm-hmm. We've talked about hair. We've talked about animals. <laughs> we've talked about corduroy pants, and we've talked about baseball. So we're getting our digression out of the way <laughs> right away. This oh. is a this is a science fiction uh, oriented podcast. Well, um, okay. <laughs> Some people would say <laughs> well, that, that Cleveland and the Cubs even getting to the World Series would be a fantasy story. Well, actually, actually, yeah. Back to the Future 2 <laughs> missed it by a year. The Cubs win the World Series because, you know, Back to the yeah, Future had yeah. it had it happen in 2015. Mm-hmm. And here it is, 2016, and it actually happened. Yeah. Of course, we're not wearing double double ties yet. No, so. because it looks stupid. I know. It's incredibly bad looking. Well, and I can't wear a tie anyway, but um, yeah. But yeah, missed it by a year. <laughs> missed it by a year. We still don't have our flying cars. Which is good. Our you. hoverboards. Flying cars are a terrible idea. You you would you I say drive that. a significant chunk of the day. <laughs> the yes, people. but if half of them were flying, they'd be out of oh, your God, way. I don't want the people above me. <laughs> are you kidding me? It's bad enough when they come out of that blind spot that you just didn't know they were there. It's your blind spot is everywhere. Oh, I know, I know. Oh, no, the flying cars are a cool thing in science fiction, um, but I still maintain that the best flying car for looking like reality mm-hmm. was Blade Runner. Yeah. Because there were so few of them actually in the sky, and you would think that they'd be like licensed, you know, police cars and government vehicles and things like that. You'd have to, you'd have to limit it. We just don't have the restrictions and fear people have of, of. Driverless cars. Mm, mm-hmm. um, yeah. You know, the idea that – I mean, it, it's going to happen because someone's going to sit there and say, we're going to do this. And Ford is going to put out <laughs> the flying car. And the first major nasty accident. Yeah. It's going to be right up there with the jetpack. It'll be ugly. But mm-hmm. that's not what we were talking about. Well, no. You actually touched on it a little bit, the, oh. the loyalty of the fans for the Cubs. Uh, and okay. I, got to, I got to thinking about it. And, the, and we've, I've had this idea for us mm-hmm. for a, a little video teaser to put on our, our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And I may still do it eventually one of these days. I don't know. We'll see. But basically sets up the comparison, the, the parallelism if you will, mm-hmm. between genre fans, science fiction fans, fantasy fans, horror fans, sure. and sports ball fans. And and I say sports ball because it's all of them. Basketball, mm-hmm. football, soccer, sure. baseball, all of them have those though that that group of fan, that one type of fan that is enthusiastic to the point where you start to question their sanity, you know, you know they're yeah. they're out there in ten below winter weather, sure, yeah. snow and ice coming down on the ground. They've got their shirt off. They're painted blue. They got the big fuzzy hair and the that, foam finger. That's and, just the Yankees know. fans. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but you know, people look at people look at cosplayers. Mm-hmm. People look at, at people like Trekkies and brown coats and Hoovians and all mm-hmm. these different people, and they kind of just look sideways at them. It's like, how can you like that? You know? Sure. But it's really 
the same thing. It is, and I, d- I do want to make the distinction here that that for a long, long time, the idea that these were actually separate groups of people, sports fans, science fiction fans, you know, there's this always there's this there's this grand tradition of the jock versus the nerd, and right. and the and the sports fan versus the the genre fan, and it's an artificial distinction. It has it, it has been pretty much always. But even now, even more so. I mean, when, especially when you consider, in, you know, I guarantee you that a huge number of sports fans go to Marvel movies. What? Yeah, it's true. Or, oh. went to, or went to Star Wars: The Force Awakens. You know. So, but it's there is a certain there's a certain us versus them mentality that it's it's in fandom, it's in sports, but it's also between the idea of oh well, I don't read comic books. I go to football games. Well, yeah. guess what? A lot of comic book readers go to football games and, and a lot of football fans go read comic books or watch movies or, you know, it's... To, qu- to quote Buckaroo Banzai, oh, the deuce, you say. <laughs> but it's there is still this kind of weird mindset that says these are separate camps of people. Yeah. And they're not. I mean, certainly there's going to be the... there's gonna, You know, just like there's folks who are never going to read a comic book or never going to go to a uh, basketball game. You know, but the, those groups are the, the crossover is much much bigger than anybody you know ever really talks about. And you know, I would think uh, that in the last when did Iron Man come out? Ninety. Good lord. Uh, Two thousand. When when did it? How long have Marvel movies been coming out? It seems like they've been coming out forever now. Um, um two thousand and I would say what two thousand six six two thousand five. So in the last, let's just call it ten years. The last ten years, I would say that there's probably even been more crossover between genre-ish fans, because mm-hmm. you know, now, like like we've talked about before, not everybody who goes to see a Marvel movie is right, going to pick sure, up and read a Marvel comic book and, or or go see Star Trek or mm-hmm. or anything like that. And I think Star Wars is a good deal like that too. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is a cultural phenomenon more than it is a science fiction movie to a yes. lot of people. Yes, it's, I would agree with know, that. It's because, you know, you've got the fantasy elements and you've got that, but it's that thing I saw when I was a kid sure, right. thing yep. and there's mm-hmm. that, you know, yep. take take your kids to see it, take mm-hmm. your grandkids to see it. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Uh cracked this morning, cracked.com had a uh, showed about, had a bunch of uh, the original trailers for various movies mm-hmm. and how they were basically wildly misleading. Oh and, yeah, and had the original Star Wars trailer. I've seen that, which was apparently Nar- made narrated, by somebody who had no idea what the film was about. Yeah, narrated by Malachi Throne, <laughs> who was Commodore Mendez on Star Trek, and it had the uh, the wrong font for the word Star Wars, which then explodes <laughs> yeah, for I think that a reason was, of some kind. I think that was before they had actually de- decided on a design for Star Wars. For well, the, the, lightsabers the were, lightsabers were just... Yeah, they hadn't uh, put the effects on. They hadn't put them. the effects on, so yeah. they, were, they were just glowing. White. White. Yeah, it's... They were Ahsoka blades. It's, um... <laughs> I was watching that, and I kept thinking, and I guess this is a little bit of a digression, but we've seen other trailers before that are just like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, the the era of the two minute trailer. Now we have the micro trailer. It's mm-hmm. the teaser for the, the teaser, teaser for the, the teaser yeah, for the trailer. The trailer. Yeah. But you know the, the two and a half minute trailer for Star Trek Two, mm. which goes on. You're like, okay, oh, I, I, yeah. But back then, yeah. <laughs> you didn't. Have, well, and I blame the internet. The internet has made us all impatient. Mm-hmm. We want it now. You know, we want instant gratification. We want, you know, whatever. I want it now. I want it right. I want it to be mine. Yeah, but I'd rather have a minute and a half trailer now than a two and a half minute trailer then, because the two and a half minute trailers then would sit there and take you. First of all, they were they were cut so slow. Yeah, and and that's not just a question of of us getting adjusted to the faster pace of edits. It's more like why is this so slow? <laughs> and and you get the entire story in half the half the case. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like why, what are you doing here, guys? But um. It was it was just a different time for storytelling, and I think that I think to some degree Star Wars being, you know, we talked about before the nineteen seventies birthed so many big iconic movies because it was a big change in how stories were being told. Right. 
and a lot of the new directors were coming into play, and then you get into the 80s where you had a lot of the explosion there, too. So the late 70s, uh, mid-80s, I think that was a huge thing, especially for genre stuff. And I would suspect, I don't know how much of this mm-hmm. was a result of what happened post-Watergate, because, you know, you're in a, in that early 70s, you had, you know, things like the French Connection, you had a lot of crime, sure. crime mm-hmm. thrillers and all of that came out, you know, post-Watergate era. Star Wars was basically counter-programming to what Hollywood had been doing. You know, Drugstore Cowboy, sure. Taxi Driver, you know, all of all of these. Well, Post-Watergate, post, post-Vietnam as well, I think, yeah. because, you know, war movies were popular up through the 60s. Mm-hmm. And the, you, when you had the war movies in the 70s and 80s, they were the big war movies. Yeah. They were about something. Right? Can, you, can you imagine... What the movies are going to be like post WikiLeaks? Because <laughs> um, there's yeah. going to be a whole there's going to be a whole well, I, I, subgenre of films that have to do with. You know, we'll have hacker movies come back. The problem with hacker movies um, is that Hollywood doesn't know how to do a hacker movie and has never known how to do a hacker, yeah, hacker movie. But nowadays. You'll get somebody who actually has done it. But nobody wants to watch someone sit there and code for hours on end. Get up. Well, there'll be a chase. Yeah, of course there'll be a chase. There'll be a car chase. Maybe on skateboards. And there'll be there'll be somebody mashing their hands against a keyboard in a way that doesn't actually mm-hmm, produce a mm-hmm, key except mm-hmm. gibberish. And there'll be code flowing down the screen right? in a way that doesn't exist as right? opposed to the real world. I will now do an impression of real world hacking. Those of you who are listening, you're not going to be able to see what he does. That's true, but actually the dead silence would probably be, <laughs> probably, gonna be appropriate. Be good, good and quote. if I get up now and go get some coffee and some lunch <laughs> and maybe take a nap yeah. and then come back, you know, I mean, it's real, real hacking is, you know, real hacking isn't cool looking. No, it's not. And, and unfortunately, Hollywood's got a really terrible history of making computer things look even remotely interesting. Sure. Uh, remember, uh, what was the Sandra Bullock movie? The Net. The Net. Oh, God. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, never watch The Net. It's a terrible movie. Uh, Sandra Bullock is fine in it, but the movie itself is I garbage. I thought it was okay. Uh, sneakers is actually Sne- one of my favorite. Oh, oh uh, that reminds me. Do you know this? They're bringing Sneakers back. They're rebooting it. It's going to be a series. I think on Amazon. Yeah. You're not going to be able to recapture I'm the telling cast. You. I'm telling Well, no, you're not. Robert Redford. But it's going to be a WikiLeaks series. I guarantee you. Yeah. Um, You know, the problem I have with WikiLeaks. Marty Bishop is the one who gave WikiLeaks all of these hacked emails. Oh, of course. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) The problem with WikiLeaks is that everybody either hates it or loves it depending on who it's going after. Yeah, that's true. And that is that it is such an opportunistic – just, well, and it's illegal. I mean, at, the, at its core, it's about theft. It's not it, – to the more, the, more, the more WikiLeaks does its thing, mm-hmm. the more it – to me, it looks like, you know, less like getting, getting the truth out and more like I stole this thing. Although – Let me expose whoever. I mean – Although my understanding is that there – that uh, is, uh, at least as far as concerns the, the – the email stuff that we've been getting out, it's that is sourced from somewhere else. WikiLeaks didn't do the hack. It's still They're stolen. just it's, well, it's publishing still, it's, it's the information. It's still stolen goods. I mean, and, and I, I, I'm a big fan of, of getting truth out when truth matters, and sometimes that's very, very important. There are, there are some very real things in the world that are improved because the truth was exposed. There's mm-hmm. no misunderstand. Um but it can also be abused very, very easily. Oh, no question. And to be something, and I and I think that WikiLeaks has the well, it does both. It does both on a regular basis, and I'm I'm having a hard time. The longer it goes on, finding much noble in it. Oh, there's nothing noble about um, the or, about or positive. about journalism and the media in general. Well, and I think that I think that, that it, except us. Well, of course, that's true. We 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 will never. Spin. No. Um, 
Although there is a reason why I give you the blue microphone every time. <laughs> That's right. We will. We might mutilate or bend, but we will never spin. <laughs> I uh, I put out uh, I put out an ad. I I went ahead and and bit the bullet and put out an ad on Facebook this mm-hmm. week. Just sure. you know, not running yeah, very right. long. And you know, you could edit your little promotional copy that mm-hmm. goes on top of the image. So uh, this this comes in the wake of io9 publishing something. I don't. Even, remember what it was and you know all of the comments you know why is this even here you know sure, why sure. can't you uh-huh. why you do you know, hey poly, you know, politics no clickbait no blah, blah, blah. so i put on there science fiction fantasy and horror news without the clickbait headlines or political agenda <laughs> and we've picked up some there you go some likes See? So well we should well and, like, i think unfortunately io9 is dealing with the fact that with gawker gone oh, yeah you got the sp- you got the the spreading of what gawker was doing across all those platforms. Although IO9, IO9 had been doing a lot of that before the Gawker lawsuit. Yeah, but I think so. I think when you're owned by a, by a company that is basically, you know, they were cross promoting so many mm. stories across their various platforms. I mean, the, what there's like nine different. Yeah, pla- and different, after they got folded into Gizmodo, they got, it got a lot worse. Right, because I think that really, and that's that's just unfortunately the what happens when you've got that business model. Yeah. Um, we don't and, have that business model. No, we don't. And and we're not tainted by corporate greed. Although we'd like to be. <laughs> so if any corporation would like to help us be greedy. No, 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 no. No, no. We want to stay independent. We'll take the money. We'll take the corporate money. We'll take the money. That's yeah. right. We just want we want we won't <laughs> follow your agenda, whatever oh. it might be. But we'll just take your money. Fandom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well and and to some degree we're still on the subject because Rabid fans. Well, you on look both at, sides. Well, you rabbit fans on both sides, or, or you look at something like io9, where the fan reaction to the way that the the, the website has changed just over the course of the years, mm-hmm. and it's very, very vocal. And when you look at something like Star Wars versus Star Trek, you know, and that's the that's the the artificially inflated, you know, ooh, you Star Wars fan, you with your you know, yes. space fantasy, and it's like, oh, you Star Trek fan with your intellectual stuffiness, and, you know. space opera. Yeah, well, so it's it's an illusion <laughs> because I think a lot of folks are obviously a lot of folks are both. Yeah, and there's a reason for however you feel about it. J.J. Abrams modeled the Star Trek reboot with more of a Star Wars mentality. There's a reason for it. And oh yeah, no question. So and I even said at the at the beginning of all of that when when he rebooted it and the, and the first one came out in hindsight it was Star Wars with it, it was Star Wars that had been painted with a Star Trek brush. Sure. It, it was just an applique mm-hmm. that got stuck to the window. And it was essentially a Star Wars movie. It was his audition tape. Yeah. For for Star Wars. And I think unfortunately with that series it took them 3 movies because I still maintain that the third movie is the one that is – if they had led with the third movie, uh-huh. we would all be sitting there going, what a great reboot of the franchise. I still haven't seen it. I know. And I understand that you don't want to. But well, I, it's... I do I, – I think that of all of the films, you would enjoy that one yeah, for being the closest think, in spirit. I think you know, Into Darkness is probably the one that I absolutely just do not want to see. Beyond, I'm just meh. I yeah, see it sure. or I don't. So mm-hmm. I, I, it's 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 not quite so much an enthusiastic refusal to see sure. it as as much as it was for the second movie. Because mm-hmm. coming out of the first one, I wanted to choke J.J. Abrams. <laughs> I really did. I I if he had stood in front of me, I would have spit in his eye because of what he did. And that that anger, I was really surprised at how visceral the anger was. And when I, when I was writing the review, I was like, I can't be a rabid fan. I can't. No, I got it. I just, just no, no, can't say that. No, can't say that. Yeah, I was, I was self-editing a lot sure. when I wrote that review. Sure. And uh, apparently it didn't self-edit enough because we never got invited to another screening after that. Well, but, yeah. Well, I, honestly, I think that because when you have a show like Star Trek or Star Wars or Doctor Who – um, you end up with a. F- you look okay. Look at the new Doctor Who series, right? It's mm-hmm. been around since two thousand and five, right? And we had the Wilderness years where there was no Doctor Who on television. A lot of novels. Mm-hmm. The comic books were still published periodically. Yeah. Um, you know the Doctor Who annuals still came out. Yep. 
but we weren't getting any new television. And when the show came back, they reboot. It was many ways. It was a, it was a reboot as well as a sequel. Or yeah. Picking up this, picking right. up the the threads, um, because they redesigned the ship. The character dressed completely different. It was a whole different vibe and feel. Brand new actor. Brand new actor. Well, certainly a brand new actor. Yeah. But that's part and parcel of the show. It's one of the few shows that can get away with that. Yeah. But at the same time, there were certain fans who sat there and went, what the hell? <laughs> and for all the fact that the show had a vastly improved budget, it looked fantastic. I mean, I, I'm a you know, Tom Baker – a huge fan of the of the original series, but there's a long standing fondness people have for walls that wobble, yeah, and running up and down corridors, and it's this clearly the same corridor. Can you imagine what Pertwee's show or Baker's show would have looked like with that kind of budget from BBC, with the equivalent amount of dollars? Oh, from whatever, wow, you know, yeah, nineteen seventy four, nineteen seventy six. Can you imagine just how how? Much, I mean, Pertwee's, Pertwee's era was definitely the man from Uncle James Bond, man of action, right. spy-ish kind of show with aliens. And then, of course, Baker. How many times did Baker go into horror? Mm-hmm. And yeah. you could just sit there and go, I mean, <laughs> it's like, wow. Let me be like, you know, horror of Fang Rock would have been just terrifying for audiences <laughs> if they'd no had kidding. the budget they have now. I mean... You know, and it's there's so much of that which would have been vastly different. But it, it, there's that certain sense of charm, and we come back to a loyalty of fans. You know, there that core group of people who started watching Doctor Who in the states, yeah, in the eighties, when which we were, would have included us, which would have included us, yeah. where, where PBS was bringing over Fourth Doctor episodes. It was the first stuff available to the U.S. And then they picked up the then they we had the, the Davidson years, mm-hmm. and then we started getting filling in from the other stuff. Although, honestly, I, I it took conventions before I was able to actually see first Doctor episodes, sure, right. or third Doctor episodes. Um, and we'd occasionally get you know uh, a story or something think, the PBS would pick up. But. I think PBS started picking up Pertwee stuff. Um, while McCoy, I think during McCoy's years. Uh, was it, it that late? It might have been. I mean, the the cause we, we always we were lagging behind the, right. the the British in that. We were seeing stuff. I don't think a lot of America was seeing the the McCoy years until the late eighties. Um, and of course, it a lot of depended on your PBS station. Yeah, you know who because it was it was not a. They weren't super expensive to to carry those programs, but they also weren't cheap, and so we, they would tie a lot of a lot of that stuff would actually be tied into pledge drives. And I uh, would on our local station, yeah. And I would venture to say that if Doctor Who had not come to the United States, I mean, God bless whoever over at PBS decided they mm-hmm. wanted to bring the BBC sure. programming over, but. If Doctor Who had never come to the United States, mm-hmm. I would I would hazard a guess that it would one not not be back at all. Two, if it would if it if it did still come back, if it was just British, mm-hmm. it wouldn't look anything like it did today. Oh, there's I, no I, 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 I mean, there's no way it would have the budget that it did now. I would be inclined to agree, but I think it was also almost inevitable. I mean, BBC America was a thing that was happening, right? Um, but I would also say we wouldn't have Orphan Black either. No, 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 no. We wouldn't have. Had, there was we wouldn't Mare Mare, or uh, or I'm sorry, Black Mare or Black Mirror. Or there's there's a there's a lot of things that we would simply wouldn't have had if we hadn't. Well. This intruders. Is, this is an advantage, actually, of the internet and the fact that it became we've become a much more global entertainment culture. I mean, there's certainly you, you still run into stuff where you know some stuff just doesn't translate into whatever culture just because it's it's you know American sci- American superhero films seem to do well in places like China, but American romantic comedies don't do well outside of America or outside of English speaking nations. Although, if you have a film that's going to be in China. Then you have to have certain Chinese elements, or the government doesn't let you go in there with it. Well, and what I think, considering China takes in like fifteen foreign films a year, something like that. Um, but it, of course, has that gigantic market. It always, right. made, you know, the studios get really excited about gigantic markets. That whole 
You know what I get excited about? Coffee. Something that translates well. Because coffee is made of happiness and joy. That's right. And we are going to go refill our coffee mugs and come back and continue our discussion of rabid fandom and such like when H2O continues right after this. You're listening to H2O on Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Jedi, Sith, Tauntauns, no matter which side of the Force you claim, we are your go-to holocron for all the latest Star Wars news, rumors, and innuendo. Imperial Intelligence has got nothing on us. We've got your salacious crumbs every other Sunday at 6 p.m. Central U.S. exclusively on Sci-Fi For Me TV. I'm meteorologist Brian Busby. If you're traveling to a convention this weekend, especially if you're a cosplayer, it helps to know what the weather's going to be like. Rain and fur don't mix very well, now do they? That's why every week, Sci-Fi For Me gives you the weather forecast for every city hosting a convention. Those we have on our list, anyway. And that's worldwide, not just in the United States. It's part of our commitment to bring you content you won't find anywhere else. Just click on the Conventions tab over at SciFiForMe.com, your portal to the science fiction multiverse. We have the power and the ability to digress a bit. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Back on H2O, Jason Hunt here along with Timothy Harvey. Hello there. And we have coffee in our mugs. Do. In front of our mugs. The uh, hashtag H2O podcast. The email H2O at Sci-Fi For Me.com. And um, we have a poll out there, the question. Uh, we recently uh, have parted ways with SuperheroStuff.com as a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And so now the question is whether or not we continue as a weekly program mm-hmm. or if we go every other week like we did when we first started. Right. So the question out there for our listeners, for those of you who are out there, whether or not you want want us to continue weekly, mm-hmm. uh, we do have a note from from Thomas who said that he would prefer weekly because it gives him something to listen to at work. And we appreciate that. Thank you, Thomas. Um, but it's our show. We do what we want. <laughs> like, well, for, for those of you who don't okay. know, we, we start off as, as every other week, and then when Superhero Stuff became a sponsor, they were promoting it as a weekly show. Yeah. And we were like um, – well, okay then. Yeah, we're and, a weekly show now, and we're perfectly fine yeah. doing this weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I suppose you know, we'll keep doing it weekly until we get enough people <laughs> telling us, "No, we're tired of listening to you. We got to. We need a break. Stop." Have we had anybody sit there and say, "Stop talking" yet? Um, at all? I mean, is that like? <laughs> well, as far as like stop talking at all, no. There we go. See, we're the, um, we win. We have had the stop digressing so much, but you know. It is what it is. Good luck with that, folks. You've met us, right? (laughs) (laughs) Some people have. And they still are our friends. I know. It's kind of weird. Fandom. Fandom. So, um, okay. So we've been talking about Doctor Who. We talked about the, you know, the fact that that, uh, the enthusiasm for fans in the United States is probably what tipped the... Tip the show over for for renewal. I think I think it certainly had an impact because when you consider that that while the show was on the air, um, Australia and Canada were actually markets for the show, uh, and certainly actually other countries were. There were, mm-hmm. there were there were other European and Eastern European and I think some Asian countries were getting the show. Well, the British Empire. Yeah, to some to to a large degree, it was it was the old colony states, um, and what you ended up happening was. This working out well when you had the missing episodes, because you would find some of these in, right. in some of these countries. Somebody would have videotaped them off the sh- off the you know off the air, and so suddenly these episodes, which had been destroyed because the BBC went through a phase where they basically sat there and went, "Eh, these things are just taking up space," and they erased <laughs> them or taped over them. Yeah. Oh, we don't need these anymore. They're not yeah, going to well, anything. And and you know we also have to bear in mind that the idea of going back and watching old episodes of things right. is a relatively recent idea. You know, we, you know, we, as much as I hate to get into the, you know, when we were watching television when we were younger, because we do it so often, the reality is 
is that if you watch something, it aired once. You got reruns during the summer. Mm-hmm. And, and that before was it. videotape. That was it. You didn't have it again. And you kind of, and so it became. Watching. Now there were some shows like I Love Lucy, or you know, some of the older, the older programs. You know, My Three Sons mm-hmm. and a lot it's of the sitcoms. And stuff. Syndication. It stored, mm-hmm. but it it didn't air. You didn't you didn't right. get it on TV all the time. Nowadays, I mean, you can find I Love Lucy on twelve different channels. So well, and of course, the explosion of cable thing. opened up a lot of avenues because they had to fill programming slots. Right, and. Even though a lot of these places were signing off at like between midnight and one a.m., remember mm-hmm. when you'd get the whole where you know the station would sign off and you'd get the the Star Spangled Banner bum, 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 or whatever bum. it is they would show they would. This concludes our broadcast yeah. day. Yeah, and now it's you know because it is it's, it's twenty four hours because it's a global thing where you know you're watching something in Australia at the same time that somebody's watching something in L.A. Mm-hmm. and so you've got that kind of that. You have even more content to fill, which has been great for bringing a lot of genre shows back. Although, oddly enough, you don't see things like – you don't see like Blake 7 running somewhere all not, the time. Not so much. Or, or, the, trif- or the tripods or – Red other? Dwarf doesn't get a whole lot of love either. No, even though the show's back. Yeah. And, and getting some good – quite a good uh, – quite a bit of good press. I think that the advantage of – the advantage of shows like Doctor Who and the fandom is that it actually opened the door for a lot of British genre programming to get to the States. Because we weren't sending a lot of stuff. We, you know, we weren't sending a lot of American movies over to England mm. in the 60s and 70s. You get the big picture. You, know, you get the really big thing. But you weren't getting the sign of kind of crossover where you know, your opening night of Avengers is you know, a huge deal in the U.K., Right. Whereas nowadays, that's first yeah. anymore, mm-hmm. and it opens in the United States after that because mm-hmm. ah, it's just the United States. We're not important. Well, but they're, they're, the studio model is let's build up enough money before we hit the big market mm. so that when we, we can start sitting there and going, we had a $400 million opening weekend, and thank God we had $100 million <laughs> from, from Europe because we're – Probably going to make a profit on this film now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, well, and I think some of that too is fueled by the fans where you have something like, you know, uh, uh, Batman versus Superman, case Mm -hmm. in point, where you have a massive opening weekend box office and word of mouth from the fans Mm -hmm. brought about the second weekend box office dropping so precipitously. And you have, you know, the fan outcry over uh, Black Widow not showing up in the toys. Where mm-hmm. are the Black Widow toys? Where are the Ray toys? Where are the sure. you know? Cap- well, when Captain Marvel comes out, they're, they're, they're I'm there better be some Captain Marvel toys. Yeah. Like there you probably know, will be, but fifty percent of the country is women. Wonder Studios, Woman toys, just so you know. Well, and and when we talked to uh, when we talked to Ashley Eckstein when she first started yeah. her universe line, yeah, she said according to her research at the time, and this is six years ago now, mm-hmm. seven years ago, at the time, according to all of her numbers, fandom was fifty two percent female at that yeah. point, and that was. Six, seven years ago. I can only imagine what it is now. Oh, sure. It's at least that much. Well, and when you consider that we've, for all the fact that the studios are dithering, and, and yet, like we mentioned, you uh, was it over on, well, we were talking about it over on, on 11 to 7. Uh, 7, about how the studios are in, like, they're watching Wonder Woman. Yeah. And, you know, so sharply. Even so, when you look at the, the number of female-led Genre shows, genre television shows. Agent Carter, um, um, the you know Dark Matter, mm-hmm. Sci- Sci-Fi Channel. Sci-Fi Channel has been doing a great job. Orphan Black, Orphan Black, um, Winona Earp, um, and you look at some of these shows where Ben Helsing, ben, ben Helsing, which I still have not watched. No. Um, I, I was. I have to admit, I, I'm behind on that one because, in many ways, I was turned off by the reviews of the first episode. Catherine Sanders has been doing recaps for us, mm-hmm. and it's. It seems just from reading her her reports, it seems like it. It's hit and miss. It's back yeah. and forth. There are some episodes that are good. Mm-hmm. Some episodes that are 
eh, okay. Um, so I think it just depends on the week when you catch it. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunate because yeah. we've there are a few shows that can pull that off. Walking Dead did that for a number of seasons, <laughs> and um, well, and you look at you know, Agents of Shield for season one. Yeah, yeah, they lost so many viewers that it's really hard to get those hooks back. That's right. the, one of the biggest things is that you cannot. It's it's so hard to bring back fans. If you lose the fans, you know, I wonder how many. You know, we're talking about crossover between sports fans and genre fans. I wonder how many people listening to this show, mm-hmm. how many people who are fans in general of science fiction and fantasy, sure, how many of those people are going to watch the Gilmore Girls reunion? I would. I would say. A lot. I'm going to say it's going to be an age thing. I think it's going to be if you're. You think? uh, Yeah, and I think that there's a certain there's a certain window that when you watch a show, whether you're a teenager in your early 20s or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, that's kind of the moment that it gets you, and it becomes part of your environment because you're maybe you're watching it with family or you're watching it with friends, and there's those are these associations. One of the reasons Doctor Who stuck with me was because I watched it with my dad. Right. One of the reasons I became a horror film fan was because my dad and I would watch creature features on Sunday afternoons. And, you know, I, there was – these are things that there's there's an association that's always going to be there. Right. And while and, – and to some degree, my daughter and I watching Doctor Who. Now, she went off Doctor Who because she – kind of fell into that category of fans that look at the way that women are often written on Doctor Who and sat oh, there and sure. went, I'm not I'm not enjoying this anymore. Yeah. And and that's a that's a legitimate that's a legitimate response. Um because you don't have to watch the show. You don't if you don't want to watch the yeah. show, stop watching the show. Well or either that or you look at something that's twenty or thirty years old, like Ghostbusters oh, sure. and you know, you get these young twenty something know-it-all kids who grew up on these CGI slam fests and they mm-hmm. look at something like Ghostbusters and they go, oh, the effects are just so cheesy. I can't watch that. Well, yeah. And I think that there's a certain – that's a certain subset of all fandom where you're going to have the folks who are willing to look past the shaky cardboard walls and the terrible effects or the bad costumes or the whatever, you know, the, the monsters that look just terrible. If you go back and look at the Twilight Zone, right – the Twilight Zone is kind of the gold standard, mm-hmm. the eternal gold standard. I don't, no, nobody has hit it yet. Nobody's yeah. hit that level of quality episode after episode after episode in terms of storytelling, you know, practical effects. And how old is that show? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 50 years. At least. And you're going to have that percentage of fans who's going to look at that and go, why those – Makeup effects are terrible. And it's like, well, are you missing the point? Yes, you are. Yes. Because you're missing the point of the storytelling. And and I think that really – sweeping generalization time. <laughs> the fans who actually care about the genre as a whole or – or it's about the stories. It's about the, it's about the ideas. Uh-huh. The, the folks who are based on you know, the idea of science fiction, the story potential of fantasy – that 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 we feeling you get when you're reading a really great horror story or seeing a really great horror film, yeah. those are the fans who are willing to look past the budgetary limitations or the or the 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 boundaries of the storytelling of the time. Uh-huh. The thing from another world, the James Arness one, right? Okay, um, it's same source material written based on the same short story that that Carpenter's thing was. Who goes there by Campbell? Mm-hmm. Very different film, not remotely scary if you look at it from the modern idea of scary films. But I love that movie because it's a well-made science fiction film about a thing in the ice that comes out and attacks a, you know, attacks a a base and people die and it's you know, and he's a vegetable. Spoiler alert. And you can you can latch onto that and go, he's a plant-based life form. That's ridiculous. Well, and then you've got the other people going. That's Marshall Dillon? What? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, look at that forehead. You know, that's, you know, that the alien application of, or the Star Trek aliens in the TV show where, it, you know, or pick a TV star, version of Star Trek. I mean, the, yeah. we are, the, the one thing, one of the really good things you can say about Abrams, the Abrams verse Star Trek is that they finally have the budget to make some aliens. 
who look alien. I suppose. Um, which is kind of cool, actually, to see that because we were getting Moss Eisley aliens. Right. But then we still had, you know, 20 years later, when we were getting Deep Space Nine and Next Generation and Voyager, with the ex- with the exceptions. Voyager did some. Uh, what species? Whatever the. A472. Thank you. I think. Um, yeah. Whatever it is. Uh, you know, that was an alien. That was a CG mm-hmm. creation. You know, you look at, but most Star Trek aliens were, my, what a cute design you have on your nose, <laughs> or what a nice pattern of spots, yes. or you know, you're you're they're bald, or whatever it is. You know, you didn't have the, the sense of things that were alien, and and some degrees, the the Abram verse Star I Trek s- films had that. They, it feels like the playground's bigger. Yeah, but I seem to recall an interview with Michael Westmore, one time. <sighs> I'm going to have to look this up because I might not be remembering it right. Okay. So I'm going to put that caveat out there first. Sure. But it's, it seems to me that Michael Westmore at one point had said that the reason why so many of the aliens looked humanoid mm-hmm. was so that the audience could more readily identify with them, whatever their plight was, whatever their complaint was, whatever their issue, their circumstances. Well, and I think certainly that the original series – and and next generation more so than some of the later shows those were shows often about a thing or a thing yeah. we talked about that before how sometimes star trek was just on the nose with with getting that cultural moment and grabbing you and going open your eyes mm-hmm. and sometimes it was like <laughs> a little bit too on the nose this is the 2 by 4 yes. hold still yeah. whack um you were black on the one side and oh, right, geez, white on the other let this be your last battlefield uh, great cast. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But good. Oh. But at the same time, at the same time, it was a, you know it was science fiction serves that role very often, and you forget about that sometimes when you look at shows like you know movies like The Avengers or Iron Man or TV, even TV shows like Agents of Shield, which doesn't which does it a little bit. Um, certainly, the X Men movies didn't really get into it the way the comic books did, and a lot of you look at the. Okay, here's the difference between fandom because you've got the comic book fans of the X-Men who are fans for decades in mm-hmm, many cases. Right. And the X-Men was often a metaphor for race relations or mm-hmm. uh, or being gay or you know whatever – What it, it was a way for them to write about real cultural things and, mm-hmm. and being the outsider. Right, discrimination, prejudice, and, and do it in a cool, exciting way format because you know the mutants were hated and feared and pick your group of hated and feared and if you could if you, if you fell into that category whatever people were lumping you into category people were lumping you into you know they were a relatable character because a lot of times they were teenagers too yeah. and so you would have this this emotional connection that fans would develop with the characters and some writers of the comic books really got that and some really didn't um, there's some, there's some definite, and you get fan reactions to some of those writers now. Who will, they look at some of the runs of some of these writers and they go, "You're a monster. We well, hate you with a passion." I right? think you can get that. Sort I think of you still, you still get that kind of thing. I mean, oh, look, sure. at, look at fan reaction to New Fifty Two for DC, you know, and then look at fan reaction to Rebirth from well, DC. I think. Well, and there's, there's a couple of things there. One is that the fan reaction to New Fifty Two was they felt betrayed. Yeah, as a group, I mean, they're, they're for yes, we these comic books are not for you. Well, and and for all the fat folks who did embrace New Fifty Two for being an entry point, I mean, they there were people who loved it because it was new to them, mm-hmm. and it was right. it was just the it right was a way time. to get them into reading comic books. And so it was a good, it, you know, there are folks who enjoyed those characters that way, and that's fine, good for you, because trust me. Um, for all the fact that we might we sit there and talk about you know our Superman or how things should be, we also remember that there have been a lot of different Supermen in media, and you know the argu- that, the, that you can still end up with that argument that dubious argument. Well, Superman has killed before, blah blah blah. I and ran across still true. I ran across a YouTube video today mm-hmm. that compiled the opening title sequences to every. DC Comics television show oh. from The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves yeah, yeah. all the way up through Grant Gustin's Flash. 
Uh huh. Because I guess Legends of Tomorrow hadn't come out yet, or sure. you know, Supergirl. Gotham's in there. Mm-hmm. Supergirl's not there. Legends of Tomorrow's not there. Okay. But everything else. Mm-hmm. The only thing missing that I could tell was the Fox version of Human Target that was out about five or six years ago. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Besides Which that, I actually show, enjoyed. Everything else was there. Mm-hmm. All of the all of the animated shows from 1967 were in there. Sure, sure. Swamp Thing that ran for three years that was yeah, there. Uh-huh. Um, there was a Superman cartoon from 1988 to 1989 that used some of John Williams' theme. I'd never seen it before. I was thinking, where did this come from? Huh, okay, but all of those. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny you look at the different interpretations of some of these characters. Mm-hmm. But in the middle of all of that, funny thing, and I don't remember this show. I'm going to have to go back and look. There was an earlier version of The Human Target. Do you know who starred in The Human Target? Um, uh, uh, Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I was like, where did this come from? <laughs> so, I, I, I want to say that it was a TV movie that was meant to be a pilot. Was it a pilot? I believe, okay. it, I believe it, was right. a, it was a TV film that was meant to be a backdoor pilot. Or not yeah. even a backdoor pilot. It was, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just didn't. It's a TV movie that didn't go anywhere. Yeah. But I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm looking at all the, all of the interpretations <laughs> and stuff. And it reminds me, you've got, you know, you've got, you know, the new animated mm-hmm. Batman 66, Return of the Cape Crusaders. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now there's going to be a sequel. On it. And, the people that are making these shows, mm-hmm. you know, like we talked about coming into Doctor Who when we were teenagers, you know, mm-hmm. we're of an age now where if circumstances had been different, <laughs> we would be making sure these shows. Well, we would be making, you know, writing these stories and and telling these stories. Well, and you look at you look at the impact these that fans have actually had on these franchises. Um, you know, the I think the reason that the third of the Star Trek new Star Trek films is feels the way it does is because one of the writers mm-hmm. who happens to be an actor in the film is also a gigantic Star Star Trek fan as well as a Star Wars fan but he's a huge Star Trek fan right and you know the the reason that one of the the fan reaction to the oldest actor to play the part of the doctor since the show came back has been as huge is because he is clearly a fan. When you sit there and, you know, when Peter Capaldi is coming out and they're reading, you know, the letter he wrote. Oh, yeah. When he was, what, eight? Or, no, he was like, it was, it was, it was, no, I want to say he was older than that. But, was he older than that? But, you know, he's been a fan since he was a kid. Yeah. Which, of course, puts things in perspective that he's in his, he's 55, 56. And, well, and in, um, was it the Christmas? It was the, I guess it was last year's Christmas episode when, he meets River Song mm-hmm. when you know when when Capaldi's right, doctor yeah. meets River Song, yeah. and when he walks into the TARDIS and he goes, "It's my go," yeah. and he does that reaction to, "Oh, it changes my entire thinking of time and space and quantum physics and all this." He's like, "You have to, you have to look at that. It's such a meta moment. Oh, sure, for him." Mm-hmm. As well as for all of us, because you know, there's round things in the in the TARDIS again, yeah. and you know, all of these different things. But when he walks in and it's bigger on the outside, and he gets to do the reaction that all of us would ever oh, yeah. want to do, that it is certainly a fan moment. In for many ways, he's probably the biggest for for all the fact that that the companions are often the audience surrogate character. That's uh-huh. kind of the idea of the companion, anyway. Um, he is the fan surrogate. And we actually have one. The doctor is the fan. Yeah. And for all the fact that you hear, you know, uh, Tennant talked about it. Smith talked about it. Uh, I'm not sure that Eccleston ever did. But they talk about who their doctors were. Mm-hmm. And how much, you know. The, the, yeah, I don't much, think I ever saw They loved the show. But then you have somebody like Matt Smith who sat there and went, I didn't really watch the show before. Mm-hmm. Because he was of such an age. It was already gone. It was by gone then. by the time he was watching, getting, yeah. getting into into fan and then any of course kind of fandom. Well, you got to you got to give Tennant his fan props because. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's, he's I mean he, he's related to a doctor now. He's that I that that meme still is <laughs> such a crazy. For those of you who don't know, uh, David Tennant married Peter Davidson's daughter, Georgia Moffat, and. Um, 
who went to school with Colin Baker's daughter. Right. And the way it all works out, and, and Georgia Moffat <laughs> played, <laughs> played, what was her name? The character's name. Oh, the, she, the, the doctor's the clone, daughter. The doctor's daughter. Yeah. But she had a name. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, okay, so the story was the 10th Doctor gets cloned. There's the girl. There's the doctor's daughter. The episodes right. are called the doctor's daughter. Yeah. Well, Tennant ended up marrying her. Mm-hmm. And they have a child mm-hmm. who's female. They mm-hmm. have a daughter. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the doctor's daughter went to school with the doctor's daughter, played the doctor's daughter, became you – know, or, or the doctor – I, you know, it's just so, it's so, you know, married the doctor's daughter, had the doctor's daughter. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. But it's, it's I guess Ten, Tenet would be one of the ultimate fans because he well, actually point, married well, into it. Well, I hope he's a fan. He better be a he fan. He better be. Dinners could be really awkward around the, yeah. the Davidson Tenet household. But that puts Time Crash into a completely different oh, perspective, yeah. doesn't it? Because he, he looks at, he looks at, the fifth doctor, he says, you were always my doctor. Well, well but, you know, but you're my did, father-in-law now. But, well, yeah, he did that before the... That's true. Before, before the, they got married. The, they got married. Before, I think yeah. before they met, or at least before they... Yeah, it was before that episode, yeah. But I think you end up with... You end up with a thing that, you know, Abrams was a huge Star Wars fan. And he's directing a Star Wars movie. He's, yeah. you know... And you look at, you know, Capaldi, you know, huge Doctor Who fan. So much so that the people who were creating the show wished he would shut up. And leave them alone. <laughs> he pestered them. And they're like, dear Mr. Capaldi, kiss off. And now he's the doctor. And yeah. I was reading a thing where he was talking about he had, had surgery on his knee because all the running down the corridors and stopping and turning oh, yeah. is actually bad it's on your joints. Yep. And so he said, I'm going to keep doing it as long as they'll let me. And there's just something about the grin on his face, especially in those early interviews. When, you know, there was, he was doing the world tour. Yeah. Now, bear in mind, this is a British television show that started in 1963. As a kid's history as show. As a kid's history show. is still considered, quote, unquote, children's programming. Right. Which is, the British idea of children's programming is a complete, well, the British also gave us the Teletubbies. So they're, <laughs> it's a you know. Well, you know, anything that puts the nightmare kids. Nightmare fuel. Puts the kids <laughs> Behind the couch, and you sit there and go, "Go to bed," and they run to bed. Then well, it works. The British, the British also have a different idea of what children need to be protected from than American audiences do. There's a certain yeah. American audiences, to some degree, and I think probably because the British audience. Do, British, do we need to put a trigger warning in front of this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so because, well, it's it, okay. We've it's, never been so invaded. Well, yeah, I know. True. I know. I mean, the, if you're if you're of the generation, if you're of the World War II generation, and mm-hmm. you remember the Blitz, yeah. and London being bombed, your perspective on whether or not the children should see violence was as a, as you know on television is probably a little less focused. You know, it's like, well, you know what? You just watched your grandparents' house get blown up. Mm-hmm. Do we care that there's a boob on television? We don't care. <laughs> we care about whether or not the story's any good, and and it, so you end up with these distinctions there. But – and very much so when, when it's one of the things that I noticed when I was a teenager is that a lot of the programming that we got through PBS, a lot of Masterpiece Theater, uh, I remember being almost traumatized because uh, I didn't know how to process it uh, at that age. Uh, Louise Jameson, Leela yeah, on, on, yeah. on Fourth Doctor, uh, she was in a movie about the Holocaust. I can't remember the name of the film, but I remember it was, it was, it was done, played on PBS and it was – Oh goodness! I want to say they were either they showed it while they were still showing the fourth Doctor run, or maybe maybe it was maybe oh, it was during okay. the fifth Doctor, right. fifth Doctor years. And there's a it's a very chilling scene. It's a I believe it was a gas chamber scene. It's a um, it takes place at one of the the extermination camps the Nazis ran. And so there's it's a very clinical nudity. Mm-hmm. It's not there's nothing sexy about it. It's very chilling. Right. Um, but then to see. Louise Jameson, I believe she was just topless in the scene. And it was kind of, it was very weird for me as a teenager because she's an attractive woman, but it's a, it's the, it's one of those. She's about to die type of thing. It's one of those things where early on I began to understand the difference between um, telling a kind of story that actually is the way that storytelling can work to actually take the things that you would things that would make you laugh or be titillated or whatever that can be turned into terror. 
I think the, I think I, again, I think it's a different cultural thing where coming out of the World War II and, right. and the world that the British were living, they were able to tell those stories in a way that I think that American audiences weren't getting through American programming, which is one of the reasons that shows like Masterpiece Theater and some of the British programming that came over was as popular as it was and led to things like BBC America mm. because you were getting the kind of stories that American audiences just weren't getting. Right. And you would sit there and grab hold of – they would grab hold of your emotions and go, okay, this is the part where you're going to go, oh, God. <laughs> and not in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a way that you know, grabs you emotionally. Yeah, it's something that sticks with you. Yeah, and I think that – again, I think it's just, it was just cultural differences. We didn't have – we had – while we certainly sent you know, thousands and thousands of, of Americans over to fight in World War II, we didn't have it on our doorstep. Right. Pearl, Har- Pearl Harbor was still – over there, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yeah. it was it was an ocean away from well, most Americas. You know, even even now, you know, post nine eleven, you know, nine eleven happened in New York City. Sure, and, and it, how how much of that trauma is? I don't want to say I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm trivializing it, but how much of that trauma is mitigated by distance? Well, I th- to to a certain degree, a lot of it is, and also bear in mind, and this is some this is this is such a this is so touchy, and it, it feels weird to say this, so I'm going to apologize to anyone who's bothered by this. It was only 3,000 people. Right. And, and if you think about that for just a second, that's a terrible number. There's no such thing as only 3,000 people. But, but you compare it to how many people were killed in the Holocaust, how many you, people were killed in World War II. Or, just, or honestly, just compare it to the number of people who are well, – we can get even started on Syria or, or a half any, – any conflict over the last – Thirty or forty years, where where the civil war or whatever it is, you know, pick, right. pick, pick a country where, where where things are happening like that. Now, the body count is often extremely high, but you look at say the British and the IRA, you know, the the, the bombings, which ended right. not that long ago. Right. The re, one of the reason that the response, one of the reasons I think the the world responded the way it did after nine eleven, was you know we we when we were getting we were getting enemies. You know, Iran was going, whoa, this is terrible. We're sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, we were getting that kind of response from countries that were traditionally we are adversaries with. I think to some degree was the fact that while they could look at America and say, at least it's not happening somewhere. And to some degree, we were almost the, you know, however they felt, however the governments felt about each other. The, 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 this actually ties into fandom, I swear to God. Because, <laughs> well, think about it, because... You you interview you hear this all the time with people interviewing somebody over in Iran. You're interviewing a person on the street. They don't hate America. No. You interview somebody in you know Iraq or or Russia or some of these places where we we might have you know, our governments are butting heads. The average person is like, no, I'd love to go to America. I like your I like your culture. I like your entertainment. I like your clothes. Mm. I like your people. It's the governments that are butting heads. So when the fans. It's not the generally speaking. You put two fans together, and they're talking about you know whatever the things they're fans about, and they they have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And well, you see this in the cosplay community a lot oh, sure. too. I mean, the, with the five hundred first, the Rebel Legion, mm-hmm. um, uh, anime cosplay mm-hmm. is is really big all over the world. Um, there's there's a ton of places where. There's the back and forth. Hey, I'm looking for this. I need a tutorial oh, yeah. on this. How do I do this? How do I make this? How do I, you know, how do I how do I create this costume? How do I make this mask? How do I do this prop? Well, and that's one of the things that the internet has really helped with because you're able to share that information. Back in the 80s and early 90s, when it was just fanzines, hmm. it almost made the communities, the various sub communities within the larger fan community, it almost encouraged you to build a invisible wall because right. if you were a Star Wars fan. You didn't care about the Star Trek fanzine because it wasn't about Star Wars, right? You know, maybe and if you were lucky, you're reading Starlog, so you had the you know you, you got pieces of everything. I miss Starlog, but you know the for all the problems with the World Wide Web and and all of such things for you know there's the fact that you can sit there and go mm-hmm. you know hey Jason I need a this cape isn't working right. You know, how do I, you know, what have you got, you know? I just finished rereading Spock's World. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because uh, I think it's Diane Carey or Diane Duane that wrote that book. Diane Duane. Diane Duane. Mm -hmm. 
in the author's foreword, she talks about the CompuServe groups. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's where fan, that's where fandom yeah. started to connect. Yeah. You know, we're in the, you know, that's how the brown coats all got together. Mm-hmm. We're in these CompuServe bulletin board, you know, these these discussion groups and and whatnot. And uh, and there's even, you know, the Enterprise in that particular book, the Enterprise has a BBS. Yeah. You know, it's it's it, you know, the it's all anonymous and you can just post whatever you want. I thought, how far have we come? <laughs> but uh, speaking of cosplay and gathering together all of this stuff, mm-hmm. that's that's my cue to pitch our yeah. Pinterest boards. If you go to Pinterest.com slash sci-fi for me, it's all cosplay all the time. We've got uh, props tutorials, costume tutorials. We've got photo galleries. We've got video. we got uh, all sorts of stuff that's all cosplay related over there. And of course, we're on all of the other social media. If you've got uh, comments that you would like to share with us, there's a picture of us up on Instagram right now. There is, yes, it actually got posted while we were talking, like live. I know. <laughs> we're not going to do this live, though. Oh, I don't yeah. think we're. I don't think we're ready for that. We're not. We are not ready maybe for prime. A, maybe time. a special episode. <clears throat> uh, I don't know. All right, so if you've got uh, if you've got comments uh, with regard to fandom or pretty much any topic that we that we've discussed here, or if you want to suggest a topic, you can send us an email h two o at sci fi for me dot com. The hashtag h two o podcast. You can find us on all the social media. Yes. And um, in the meantime, uh, that's going to do it for us until next week. My name is Jason Hunt. I am Timothy Hardy. And uh, we will be back with another episode of H2O soon. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2016 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. 